All right, it's good to be with you again this Monday morning. I'm James Adcock with Malachi. Malachi, and uh, typically you see his wife here, Darby, but uh, she's away with some friends, uh, having a good time, I hope. Yeah. And uh, so we're excited about today. Um, so yesterday we kind of opened up a different message uh, away from John chapter 6. We are in James chapter 1. New series. Well, I don't know about series, but it, it was at least a starting point for something. I'm working on a new series now for, mm. um, from Genesis chapter 2. I just wasn't quite ready to put a kind of like a bottom line into your message. One of the things that we're trying to do in the messages is give a bottom line. And then that bottom line feeds through the message and just wasn't there. And so I felt like Lord's like, just continue to work on this. And that's so I'm working on that and excited to share that when, when I can. But uh, we were in James chapter one yesterday. All right. And I have three questions for you. I, I hear the service twice every week. Um, so, and I, I got three questions for you. Okay. Um, if you're ready to get into those. Sure. Yep. Um, but first, do you want to talk about at all what your message was about yesterday? Just kind of give a little context. Well... James is an interesting book, and it just kind of opens up with this idea that the 12, um, the 12 tribes are scattered abroad. And I think if we're not careful, we just kind of skip over that and we get into the context of the message. But I think that plays a large part into why James is writing this book. Mm. And I think James is writing to a group of people who are hurting, struggling, persecution, is probably maybe at its worst as far as what they know. And I think with their world crashing in on them, James is saying, listen, I want you to become spiritually mature. I want you to understand that God's going to use these moments, these persecuted moments where you've left home, you've left family, you've left jobs to, to flee to safety. Mm. You're scattered abroad that God still wants to use you and your maturity is either going to shine in this moment um, and if it does watch out because God's going to do some miraculous things mm. and I thought that had some application to today because although in America we wouldn't say we're persecuted in the way like James's church was we're not those things I don't want to make light of someone who makes a decision at, at his work and he doesn't get a promote or he or she don't get a promotion or they don't get a raise or they don't get you know, something or they have to leave the company. I, I get that stuff happens all the time. But the persecution James talking about is more life-threatening than what probably 99% of us in America ever deal with. And yeah. so I was just kind of trying to bring that across of how do we, how, how do we go about our, how do we go about reaching this world when we're stuck in our own world? Yeah. And you even talked about persecution as a good thing yesterday. Yeah. Well, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Um, we don't look at persecution. We don't look at suffering. We don't look at disappointments as being a good thing. We see them as kind of negative and they, they kind of uh, work against us. And maybe some of them are built that way, but maybe some of them are built where it's supposed to inspire us uh, to know God in a deeper way that we wouldn't know without that suffering. Yeah. And I think that's hard for people to grasp. It's hard for me to grasp at times, especially when... It's, I think it's easy, like, if you're, if you're suffering, it's easy for me to tell you things about Jesus and tell you things about what, how you're to be encouraged, but I'm not in your shoes. Yeah. When I get discouraged, it's like, I don't want to hear that. Uh, I just want you to feel, I want you to be in my own pity party, if I can say it that way sometimes. And, yeah. 
Um, God doesn't want us to be there. God wants us to mature through those. I think I think some of the even like the most hurtful things sometimes can be whenever you don't give that person like a blessed time to process and you just expect them to be like at the point of like, you know, their father just died and then all of a sudden you expect them to be like, oh, I can see how Jesus is working through this. Yeah, sometimes we're, we're, we're willing to kind of blow through the gate when someone's not really ready for the gate to be cracked yet. Yeah. we got to give people a chance to mourn. we got to give people a chance to grieve. You know, we talk about the, I didn't talk about it yesterday, but you could talk about the five stages of grief and loss. And the key about the five stages of grief and loss is not that they're bad. Mm-hmm. It's not to get stuck. Yeah. I don't want to get stuck in anger. I don't want to get stuck in disappointment. I want to get stuck in bargaining. So there's a natural process of working through these things. But if we don't give people time to work through the natural process, they're going to constantly be, either get stuck or they're going to be in a constant repeat cycle. Yeah. And that's what we want to try to keep from happening. And today's church, I mean, we could probably could pick look at every person that was in church yesterday and say, well, he or she has this problem, he or she has this problem. And we all have problems. But how does God want to mature us through those problems? And I, I think, too, like, again, what I think you and Darby, you guys, um, I'm, it was on the, you guys talked about on the podcast a few weeks ago, um, like shepherding, of shepherding, and, you know, it, it means that there's a journey involved. And I think sometimes when we, we are CEO mindset of product over journey, then we just want people to get to the product of just be at acceptance, just be at, um, like, can't you, like, be at maturity yet? And we are not... We don't have the patience or even the, the mental organization to say, like, I want to be stepping alongside this person, even if their journey takes longer than mine did, or if it was shorter, or if, it, if I don't actually get to see their, their, their product point. And I'm, I feel like sometimes we're so product over journey, and that's, that's when we hurt people the most. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I think we, we don't give people opportunity to grow like we want people to give us the opportunity to grow. Yeah. We just assume everybody's where we're at mm. or higher. And that's, that's probably the wrong way to look at it. it. I think shepherding is one of the things I'm always thinking about. We're bringing somebody along, yeah. alongside, you know, come follow me or Jesus said, come and see. Yeah. And several times in the book of John in the beginning when he's picking out his disciples and they're like, hey, we, we hear this. And he's like, well, come and see. Mm. And it's this invitation to this relationship that's going to be exceptional, but you still got to be willing to come and see it and go along on the journey. I mean, Jesus knew these guys, these disciples were nowhere near his maturity level, but he never reminded them of that. Every once in a while he'd say, hey, where's your faith? Mm. But that was, those were faith lessons. Those were not moments of I'm reminding you how small you are compared to how big I am. That yeah. wasn't that kind of personality or mentality. It was more or less like you should, you know, like talking with Nicodemus, you're a ruler of the Jews and you don't know this. Mm-hmm. And it was more inquisical questionings that made people think, why am I not as mature as I ought to be? Mm-hmm. And there's some people who may have been, have known the Lord for 20 plus years but their maturity level is that of a child. Yeah. Where someone could be know the Lord just for a few years, few months, and their maturity level for where they're at could seem like uh, a young adult or adult. And this is the reason why the um, I know it has nothing to do with James, but when John writes First John, he uses the terms child or children, mm. young young men. 
he's not referring to age, he's referring to spiritual maturity. Oh. And so we, we have to come to grips with that, that spiritual maturity is a huge issue for when they were writing the Bible as compared to our church today in 2022. Yeah, so even, you know, you talk about faith lessons, so I guess, you know, drawing your intro as we go into the questions, um, there's a point for journey, but then there's also a point of like, hey, it's time for the next step. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all, if, you, if you're married or if, you ha if you've had babies, uh, there's a point where baby food is no longer good. It's gross. Yeah, I mean, okay, I want some substance. Yeah. And there's no longer crawling is good or waddling, whatever it is. I got to get up and walk on my own two feet. And there's a point in Christian life where, okay, it's time that we start making better decisions. There's time, let's start making more Christ-like decisions rather mm. than so, so focused. Yeah. Well, I think we solved everyone's problems. So There we go. <laughs> the world's a, world's a better place. But my, uh, my first question is, uh, yesterday, um, you're talking about the book of James. Um, uh, and with James, half-brother of Jesus. Yeah. But he really doesn't come in to be a major player until his epistle, his, his letter, right? And like we, we have all this time with Jesus where we know that he had a relationship with James of, you know, um, in Jesus's ministry, in his death on the cross, um, when he was buried in the tomb, when he rose again and appeared to all these people, resurrected. But in none of those stories do we see Jesus interact really with any of his siblings, even to the point of where Jesus on the cross, he's looking at Mary and in John, right? And he's like, this is your mother, this is your son, of like, take care of her. So it's almost like there was a disconnect in the family. Yeah, I mean, that's, 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 that's great points. I think there's a confusion sometimes about which James are we talking about here? Yeah. And, you know, you bring up a good point about, well, this is the half-brother of Jesus, so he's not, he's not the James, the brother of John. Yeah. That, that, and Obviously, it's kind of like our day. Well, let's let's talk about Mr. Smith. Well, which Mr. Smith you want to talk about? Mm -hmm. And there were common names, and James, John were were common names, and one of Jesus's other brothers was Judas. We're James and James. We're James and James. <laughs> that's right. About it. Um, and our brother, my brother. Yes, and but you know, I go by my first. You you two boys go by your middle name. Christmas is a nightmare with Amazon packages. There's like three <laughs> James Adcocks coming to the house. I always know what I'm getting. Yeah. So, uh, but. You know, you, you think about, you know, well, was Judas, was, it, was that the one who betrayed? Well, no, that's, that's a different Judas. Mm. So this James is different. He's not in, you know, we kind of pick him up in Acts when the church is kind of in full swing and he's pastoring in Jerusalem. But he's kind of a, an identity that we're not real familiar with in the Gospels. I think because Jesus is identifying with his 12 and, he, and we're going through their maturity process, we get to the book of Acts and, and we begin to deal with um, the church and how it's starting, some of the problems that they're having. Like, can Gentiles really be saved? And, and James, this James here, was an intricate part of that. He was kind of the head of the council about that. And they kind of came in together and said, yeah, Gentiles can be saved by faith. They don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to become a Jew. So, you know, whether... What kind of relationship Jesus had with his siblings is, is kind of left as an unknown. We can speculate. We can kind of guess here and there. But I think it was a loving relationship, but I think it was maybe somewhat split at the time of the Gospels because they were at a point where they just like, how can my brother be the son of God? Yeah. And that, that, I think that was the difficulty what they dealt with. 
And so I guess like what, what faith lessons, I mean, we talked about journey and then obviously James, like, like you said, speculate of what his journey was up to the point, but there was a turning point of like, what faith lessons are we drawing out of a guy who seems to know his Hebrew Bible really well when it comes to the book of James, seems to really think that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, he doesn't really talk about their family relation really until I just, I mean, just, just, just at the intro and that's it. And so what faith lessons can we draw of someone who probably wanted nothing to do with Jesus and then all of a sudden said, there's something here that I want to give my life to? I'm going I'm to use a personal example. I think, and I'm personally studying under a, rabbi, under a Jewish rabbi now, mm. but I don't believe this Jewish rabbi believes in Jesus. Mm. So people may ask, well, why would you study under him? Because he knows the Torah so well. Yeah, the Torah is in... The first five books of the Bible. Okay, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Yeah. Okay. And he knows them so intricately, and he asks such great questions. And I feel like someone who does know Jesus, I'm able to connect dots from, from the Torah to the New Testament. That he's not intending you to connect. Right, because he, he, he don't have that connection with Christ. And hopefully, maybe one day he will. But he can make comments like, you know, like different things about why did why was it such a big problem with Moses striking the rock? And I'm thinking, okay, the rock is Jesus Christ, so I see why that's a big problem. Yeah. And he goes through all this other stuff that I think is very interesting. Yeah. That that okay, great, I can apply some of that stuff, but let's get to the real bottom line here. We're talking about Christ, the solid rock. Mm. Um and I'm wondering in James' life, he had a connection with the Hebrew scriptures. Let's just say the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. But he didn't have a relationship with God yet. Yeah. And then when that relationship happened, however it took place, all of a sudden the Torah made a whole lot more sense. Yeah. And he's able to go back and say, oh, this is where Christ is at. Oh, this is where my brother was at. Oh, okay. So now, now he's making these connections that he never would have had without that relationship with Christ. And I think that's a possibility. Sure. So I study under rabbis who don't believe in Jesus. comes across strange, but... I feel they have enough knowledge from God of the books of the Bible that they study that helps me connect the dots to lead people to Christ. Mm. And so I'm thinking that's what James is doing. And so it's, it's interesting to me, like talking about learning underneath someone who doesn't believe the same as you and still being able to, like, what do you always say about, um, chew the meat, spit out the bones kind of thing. Eat the chicken, spit out the bones. Yeah. Right. And, And so, um, I wonder if, if that's even a lesson in itself of that. And, and, you know, going back to your last series of John living waters, I think there was a ton of moments, especially in the intro of John, he said where the word was in the beginning, all things came through him and not in a sense of like, there's every way to God. But I, if we do believe that people are made in the image of God and then there's someone who believes in the Torah, but they don't quite connect the dots to Jesus. There's still things to be learned there. And I think that even, even that can be a faith lesson in itself of learning from what you're doing here. The, the specific rabbi I'm studying under believes in God. Yeah. He don't believe in Jesus as God. Yeah. And, and every once in a while he'll bring up Jesus' name, but he brings up Jesus' name almost apologetically. Yeah. And uh, I think about Nicodemus as you were talking about that and with, with in the book of John, and and here's Jesus who's right in front of him, and he's talking about a relationship with God, and Nicodemus just can't get it. Mm. And I think there's a process in Nicodemus' life where he finally does get it. But it's almost like this 
it's almost like God wanting a relationship with us in such an intricate, loving way that he did through Jesus almost is too difficult for some people to understand. Or, or and understand may not be the right word, accept. Yeah, and even, even going through what you're saying about Nicodemus and then even bringing it back to James of both these people having interaction with Jesus and obviously walking away from some of those interactions to say, I don't believe it. Like Nick, but then Nicodemus later on down the line said, I do believe it. And then James, apparently enough so to write a letter saying that he does believe it. And then talking about what you're doing with this rabbi who doesn't believe it either. I think sometimes we're so afraid of crossing paths with people out of like, my faith is going to be taken from me if I listen to someone who doesn't believe as much as I do kind of thing. But then, then there's like, but then there's these moments of Jesus who is going into those things solid enough to say like this person doesn't believe the same way that that I want them to believe but I'm still willing to have a conversation with them and walk away with their questions my question to some people is is does truth change depending upon the person who says it yeah so if the greatest preacher whoever that would be and let's just let's just kind of put Billy Graham for a moment. And let's say Billy Graham said several times, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm. I would agree with that. You would agree with that. Yeah. Well, what if Adolf Hitler said that? Yeah. Did that change the truth based upon the person who said it? Or does it change the perception of what I have because of the person who said it? And I mean, even bring it into a, a real life example of Ravi Zechariah. I mean, sure. how many how many people's and if you don't know Ravi Zechariah, this great um, apologetic, which is someone who just defends the faith through, you know, philosophy and just like look at this way, kind of like a C.S. Lewis kind of thing. And then um, who writer of the Chronicles of Narnia again, another great apologetic. But Ravi Zechariah, he died, and then. <laughs> All of a sudden, all these things came out of this person who was preaching the gospel, giving his life to it, had had so many um, uh, just like wrong and even uh, abusing his power in sexual relationships with these young girls. And that rocks your faith because truth yeah. is coming from someone who is a hypocrite. But it doesn't change truth. And that's, that's hard for us to accept because we're like, well, how could God bless someone like a Rabbi Zacharias? Mm-hmm. God blesses his truth. God yeah. blesses the gift that he gives to people. And, you know, this is the reason why we, we can't be hypocritical in this because I'm not going to listen to so-and-so because of his or her life story or what his or her life stand for. I get that. I mean, I know there's a certain aspect of that that Jesus said that the fruits of our life mean a lot. Yeah. I, I get that. But... For, for me to study under this, this rabbi, the things he says is truthful about God. Yeah. He just hasn't made the next step to see that God sent his son, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Rabbi, uh, rabbi Zacharias had great philosophy, great thoughts, great biblical truths. His morals didn't back up what he said. Yeah. Didn't change the truth, changed the way he, he lived his life. And, and so sometimes we got, we got to be that unfortunate. We got to kind of come to a point where like, I really like what he or she says. I just don't agree with how he or she lives or something of that nature. Yeah. And it does rock people's faith. But, but 
does it rock people's faith because they put so much in, in the person who was saying it or the person that that truth was really about? Yeah. And I think even just so we can get to our, our I'll, I'll kind of tie in the last um, two questions together, but with, with journey, with just wanting to people be at a certain point with James, Nicodemus, um, even, you know, mentioned C.S. Lewis, who was completely against the faith at one point in his life. And then all three of these people becoming, um, people who wanted to not only believe it, but did everything they could to help other people believe it. I think that, you know, there's a faith lesson in there of, of journey, of, of turning point of truth and not being afraid to, if truth is truth, then it'll hold up in a conversation with someone who disagrees with you. Yeah. And I, I think it's, I think it's found in the third word here. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's say James early on in, in Jesus ministry, let's say he was, for our terminology, was someone who was an atheist. Mm. Not in the essence he didn't believe in God, he believed in God the Father, but he didn't believe in Jesus as God. That's what I'm referring to. Let's just say he was atheist toward Jesus. Mm -hmm. But now we have in this journey, the very third word that James uses, James a servant, in the Greek means slave. He's gone from someone who doesn't believe to someone who says, I'm willing to, to be a slave, which is very negative in our culture. Yeah. You know, we say the word slave and people start like, oh, man, what are we talking about here? And James is not afraid to do that. And, and slavery was something prominent in his culture. Yeah. And he's like, I'm, I'm, that, I'm this person who's willing to serve, to, to be a slave to someone who I didn't even believe in before. Yeah. That's the journey. That's, that's, that's the 180 degree turn that God can do in a person's life. Yeah. And so I guess my last two questions were, you talked about yesterday in church just that there being a lack of... Um, maturity in in the church today um, and we can go into a little bit more of that but I know as we're wrapping up um, how do we avoid that maturity I mean avoid that immaturity and make sure that we're not cementing and just getting stuck there in those steps but then instead taking continually taking more and more steps in the process of coming towards maturity where we can have these hard conversations with people who, people who believe differently than us well, John the Baptist said, I must decrease so he must increase. Mm. James says, I'm a slave. If you, if you take those two philosophies together, I think the only way we mature is we have to empty ourselves of us. Mm. So th that's easy to say, difficult to live. Yeah. Because we, we have personal preferences. If yeah. someone says, hey, let's go, to, let's go get pizza for dinner, and they think this place is the best, but I think this place is the best. And we end up at their place that they think is best. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, man, it would have been so much better at this place, right? <laughs> yeah. Because that's my personal preference. Yeah. And so instead of enjoying the moment, instead of enjoying it with family or friends, whoever it may be, I'm sitting there griping in my heart because it's not what I would have chose. Mm. And I think that happens to us in our walk with Christ because God, God's like, I'm choosing this for you. And you're like... But that's not what I would have chose. Yeah. And I got to empty. Jesus even said in his own words, if any man will follow me, let him take up his cross. Luke says daily. Yeah. And dying to self is probably, I think, the number one cause for immaturity in today's believers. And I, I, think, I think, too, it's easy to hear that die to self as, you know, I'm not trying to lessen it all, but I feel like dying to self, a lot of times people take it as, well, I just... I can't be me. I have to be like personality, like, like, like Jesus Christ. But I, I think like exactly what you're saying here, it's not as much a, a death to personality or uniqueness or who you are, but 
finding all that you are and all that you were designed to be in him by giving up your, like you said, your preferences, your, um, your ability to control your life. It's to say, like, I'm not going to decide my next step. I'm going to trust my creator that he's created me to be this way, and I'm going to take the steps that the designer has given me to do. What, what are, you know, and I know we're running out of time here, but some of this, if, we, if we look at across the board and we just say kind of um, some of the top reasons why people leave churches. Mm. Well, the music's not what I like. Preference. The yeah. sermons or the preaching's not like what I like. Preference. Or yeah. they don't have kids ministry, teen ministry like I want. Yeah. And it's all about who? Me. Yeah. And somewhere along the line in the journey of church history, we have changed that we are to cater to people rather than bringing people to cater to Jesus. Sure. And I think that's been leading to many different things because now there was a force fed at one time. You're going to go to church. I'm going to drag you to church, and you're going to like it. And you know, yeah. And then, and now it's like there's a whole different. We went to the whole different spectrum, like. We don't go to church unless we, unless we have the opportunity to, because we don't have to, right? Yeah. And I think there's a balance in between them both, where all of a sudden it's like, I want to be there because I want to grow. I want to mature. I want to be with the people. It's not about me. It's about Jesus, and I want to go and learn more about him. Mm. And even, you know, just thinking about all that you're saying of allowing yourself and allowing the people around you a chance to go on a journey with Jesus, not getting stuck on any step and really just voiding yourself of, of, of like, I'm going to let Jesus choose and show me what I should do as opposed to decide for myself and then ask Jesus to get me out of it whenever I'm stuck. Giving people grace to fail. Yeah. And being there to help them up. Yeah. And yourself grace to fail. Too. Yeah, absolutely. We're all going to fail. I feel like it's easier to give like you, my dad grace, as opposed to giving myself grace. Yeah, absolutely. Or even expect that you would give me grace. Right. Yeah. And so I guess as we're, we're wrapping up, you want to close us out of this? Yeah, you know, we're, I'm not sure where Lord is leading us here. I know we're trying to focus in on um, some different maturity points. I'm going to continue working on my Genesis 2 series. Stay tuned. Uh, yeah, uh, I really want it to be, you know, you, know you, you, want, you, want it to be, you want your sermons to be interesting. You want your sermons to cause people to ask questions, yeah. but you always want your sermons to bring them to Jesus, yeah. and that's that's where that's where we're at. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for joining us on this podcast. Thank you for letting me co-host today. Yep. Don't worry, the prettier co-host will be back next week, um, and you're pretty too. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, people say we look alike, so that's a compliment to me. Oh, pretty is the right word we should but, use, but that's okay. But um, <laughs> uh, great episode, next step. So yeah, absolutely. Hope you have a great day.